about a prediction of what's going to happen in our future or it's something that's tied to current events that are going on in the world today and depending on your political beliefs, maybe one person is this beast or one person is that beast or there's all of this other weird stuff that people do with Daniel 7 and they with Revelation and some other stuff. That's not what we're doing here. This is not a code to be cracked. There's no secret message. Um, I, it is relevant today, but this is not an ominous warning of things to come. It's not symbolism for our future or our present. There's no global conspiracy that we're unearthing. This is an ancient document written by the people of God for the people of God. It was meaningful to the ancient people that first read it. It is still meaningful to us today. So that's our framing Let's talk about the dream. And right off the bat, we see something very disturbing happening. Daniel says, I saw the four winds of heaven churning the great sea. And we're going to stop right there. Because it's really easy for us to just go right past that and go straight to the beasts and talk about how crazy that is. But this is important. And this would not have been missed by the ancient readers. And the reason for that is... The, in the Babylonian creation myth, and remember, this is kind of we're we're in we're kind of we're in the Greek. I think Daniel was written during the Greek period, but he's definitely set in Babylon, and so the people know the Babylonian myths. In the Babylonian creation myth, um, you have Marduk, the hero, summons the four winds to guard the remains of Tiamat, the goddess that represents the sea or the deep sometimes shown to be like a chaos monster, a sea monster. And I don't fully understand the, that story because he like cuts her in half and makes the heavens and the earth out of her. But the point is that the four winds in the story are helping to maintain order. And the similarity there in our creation story is you see God coming in and moving everything from chaos into order. And the winds are helping to establish order. Well, this dream begins with the winds churning the great deep, churning up Tiabat, undoing creation right off the bat. <laughs> um, in the same myth, the Tiamat, the, 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 the chaos monster, actually summons up monsters, beasts, from the sea to go fight for her. So when we have a dream that begins with the four winds that are supposed to be maintaining order instead are churning the sea, and then beasts are coming up out of it, that looks like the very act of creation is starting to become undone. All of the rules about the way this world is supposed to operate are not operating that way anymore. Then we come to the beasts. We've got one like a lion, We've got one like a bear. We've got one like a leopard. But notice that they're all like deformed in some way. They're like weird hybrid creatures, right? Like a lion with wings of an eagle. Like a bear raised on one side with ribs in its mouth. Like a leopard with four heads and four wings. And we're told later on in the chapter by the servant that these beasts are four kings that will rise up from the earth. So why represent the kings as these hideous beasts or kingdoms as hideous beasts? Because 
The kingdoms are just made of people. The kings are human beings. And the book of Daniel, as we've gone through all the chapters before, one of the themes, one of the main points that it hits on over and over and over again is that all authority comes from God. It's right there at the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord handed Judah's king Jehoiakim over to Nebuchadnezzar. God gave Nebuchadnezzar authority. And so now we're going to say that he was this hideous beast. You remember chapter 4? Chapter 4, I keep coming back to this one too. This is the one where Nebuchadnezzar goes mad. And he's driven out to live with the wild animals. Because he'd gotten a little too conceited. And he'd forgotten that his power came from God. And so God took everything away from him. Chapter 4, verses 33 and 34 says, He was driven away from other humans and ate grass like cattle. Dew from heaven washed his body until he grew hair like eagle's feathers and claws like a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes to heaven. My reason returned to me, and I praised the Most High. I worshipped and glorified the one who lives forever, because his rule is everlasting, his kingdom is for all time. So he was... He had his authority from God, and then he, he forgot, and his humanity was taken from him, and he became like a beast. With a really odd description, he grew hair like eagle's feathers. <laughs> but let's look at that description of the first beast in chapter 7 again. The first was like a lion with eagle's wings, and I observed it until its wings were pulled off, and it was lifted up from the ground and set on two feet like a human being, and it received a human mind. It's like, it's, this is Nebuchadnezzar. He was, he was given authority, and he corrupted it and became like a beast and then turned back to God and kind of got restored a little bit. How about that? Okay. So we have this first beast that's, that's Nebuchadnezzar. And then, as you can see, this progression after him, the, the beasts get more and more beastly over time. Um, and the best scholarly guesses are that if the first one is Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, then our bear is probably Darius the Mede, and our leopard is probably Cyrus the Persian, right? So Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians. And then we come to the fourth beast, and the fourth beast is different from the other three. I know that because verse 7 says it was different from all the other beasts before it. But, <laughs> but it also, it's telegraphing this to us the whole time, okay? Think about how the first three beasts are described. The first one is like a lion. The second one is like a bear. The third one is like a leopard. And the fourth one is, well, there's no like statement. There's nothing like it. It's unprecedented. In fact, the only description that we get is that I saw a fourth beast, terrifying and hideous, with extraordinary power and with massive iron teeth. And I think that makes it all the more scary. All right, one more thing. Let's look at the beasts again. So this time in the descriptions... Look at the actions that the beasts take, the verbs in their descriptions. The first was like a, le a lion with eagle's wings. I observed it until its wings were pulled off, and it was lifted up from the ground. It was then set on two feet like a human being, 
and it received a human mind. Passive voice. Then I saw another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up, devour much flesh. Passive voice. I kept watching, and suddenly there was another beast, this one like a leopard. On its back, it had four wings, like a bird's wings. This beast had four heads. Authority was given to it. Passive voice. These beasts have no agency. Now look at the fourth. After this, I continued to watch this night vision. I saw a fourth beast, terrifying and hideous, with extraordinary power and massive iron teeth. As it ate and crushed, its feet smashed whatever was left over. Active verbs. This beast is doing things. It's terrifying. And we haven't even gotten to the horns yet. So, this beast probably represents the Greek empire as ruled by Antiochus IV, who called himself God Manifest, Antiochus Epiphanes. The current authority ruling... um, Yeah, he was the current, like... As, as this book was written, his empire was the one that was currently ruling over Israel, over Judah. So then we get a courtroom scene. You have the Ancient One sits on his throne, and his throne is awesome. It's like on fire, literally. And the scrolls are opened, and he pronounces judgment, and the beast is killed, its body is destroyed, and the authority of the beast was brought to an end... Then, one like a human being, I'm going to say like a human being, not like a lion, not like a bear, not like a leopard, like a human, comes before the Ancient One. And the human is given an everlasting kingship that is indestructible. And Daniel sees all this, and he goes, yes, the good guys win in the end. God is ultimately going to be victorious. It's all going to be great someday, and this is totally satisfying. That's not what he says. (laughs) Instead, he says, my visions disturbed me greatly. So I went to one of the servants who was standing ready nearby, and I asked him for the truth about all this. Right? And so here we have it. Daniel sees this vision, and he sees creation itself being undone. Then he sees a succession of rulers that each gets more and more beastly until we arrive at the present day. Being ruled by a beast that is so grotesque, there is no adequate way to describe it. The world is upside down. And yes, that he sees that God is victorious in the end. But when is that? And what about right now? as he's currently being crushed by this beast. What's the point of this vision? So, he goes and asks a faithful believer for help to make making sense out of things. And what does he get? It's so concise, I'll just read the whole thing. These four giant beasts are four kings that will rise up from the earth. But the holy ones of the Most High will receive the kingship. They will hold the kingship securely forever and always. That's like the most unhelpful summary. (laughs) The beasts are kings and God ultimately wins. Thanks, I guess. I mean, you might as well. He might as well just said, well, Daniel, 
God works in mysterious ways. So Daniel doesn't drop it, though. He persists. He's like, I've got to, I've got to get something out of this. And so he goes back to the servant. He says, maybe I didn't make myself clear. Could you tell me about this unprecedented fourth beast that's currently ruling the world? You know, the one that was different from all of the others and that's utterly terrifying with its iron teeth and its bronze claws that is eating and crushing and smashing everything? Could you tell me more about the ten horns on its head and the other horn that came up along with the other three that fell out to make room for it, especially the horn that had eyes and a mouth that bragged and that seemed more important than the others? You know, because in my vision that I just saw, that horn waged war against the holy ones and defeated them until the ancient one came and was in judgment was given in favor of the holy ones. He's not satisfied. Can you just give me something to hold on to for right now other than... And so the servant says, well, the fourth beast means that there will be a fourth kingship on the earth. It will be different from all the other kingships. It will devour the entire earth, trample it, crush it. The ten horns means that from this kingship will rise ten kings, and after them will rise yet another. He will be different from the previous ones. He will defeat the three kings. He will say things against the Most High and will exalt the holy ones of the Most High, exhaust the holy ones of the Most High. He will try to change times set by law and for a period of time, periods of time, half a period of time, I don't know, time, they will be delivered into his power. Then the court will sit in session. His rule will be taken away, ruined and wiped out for all time. The kingship authority and power of all kingdoms under heaven will be given to the people, the holy ones of the Most High. Their kingship is an everlasting one. Every authority will serve them and obey. In other words, he didn't answer the question. Just a lot more words to say that things are bad now, but it won't last forever. And Daniel, how does he feel about this? He says... My thoughts disturbed me greatly. My mood darkened considerably. And I kept thinking about this matter. So, what do you think? Is this relatable? <laughs> how, does, how, how does this story hit you this morning? Where do you see yourself intersecting with Daniel? What's coming? What's coming up? What's coming out for you from you? I don't know that it's actually like where I intersect, where I see myself intersecting <laughs> with this, but I just I find it curious that Daniel had to ask somebody else to interpret the dream when everything that we've read up to now is. Daniel is the the expert, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then and then all of a sudden he's like, "Oh, here's this random servant, <laughs> this random servant who's walking by. Maybe he can help me interpret this really weird dream." Okay. Yeah. So, anyway, I think that makes it even more terrifying because <laughs> Daniel is our expert, <clears throat> and.
And he is just asking some random dude who's there, like, how do we make sense of this? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it is relatable because um, Ted told me it was. And, and she believes whatever I tell her I to do. believe. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but because, like, I, you know, this world is still messed up. We've passed, who, who was the Greek guy that you said? Antiochus. Antiochus. Yeah, we've way passed him. And things are still really messed up. And the world seems like it's just, you know, like the West is on fire and democracy may be over and just all of these things. And we just kind of have to sit with it and we don't really have good answers. We just have to sit with this. Oh, yeah, it'll be better in a long time. But that doesn't feel very good right now. And it disturbs my me greatly. Mind you. Um, yeah, I didn't think about Daniel being the expert. I think the thought that comes to my mind is um, that we're used to thinking of people as experts. And I wonder if Daniel just thought of himself as a guy who got really lucky. And so he was like, I could ask this guy. This guy could get really lucky too. Like God could speak to this guy as easily as God spoke to me, which I think is like a good principle of leadership to realize that like um, it's not always our skills and our expertness. It's that God can use us to speak to someone through us. What? Yeah, that we're there, (laughs) that we make ourselves available. Um, I think, I wonder if it shows some humility on Daniel's part to be like, I can, I can ask for help. Um, and I had never read the bit where it's like a time, half a time, some amount of time. Like, I think I'd read that more of, uh, like a, like there was something definitive behind it. I'd never read it with like a questioning sound. I was like, that makes more sense. You know, that I don't know how long, but things are going to get better. And that definitely feels more um, true to the way I would read the passage now, as opposed to what is a time and what is half a time and exactly how long will this be? You know, like more of a, I, I hadn't thought of them saying it in a questioning way or in a, I don't know way does that make sense it, it no it makes a lot of sense because a lot, a lot of people will go to that and they'll be like okay well this means three and a half years <laughs> yeah. because you've got a time is a year and two times and then half a time yeah right or it's some sort of three and a half times some other number and it's this and there's all kinds of different ways to take that but the consensus that you see across is it is a finite period of time yeah it is an incomplete period of time a lot of times the, the best one that I've heard that, that sticks to the three and a half likes to point out the, that the number seven is a complete number for God, seven days of creation, and three and a half is halfway. And so it's like it's an incomplete number. It is, it is a finite. But I also kind of it, it like playing around with the, eh, we don't really know. It's just going to end at some point. Yeah. No, I really like that. That, that was meaningful. Yeah. You know, and, and the thing with Daniel, he was like the coveted expert at the the first half of this book. Everyone seeks him out. But 
I would even say like, he was, he, with the exception of him talking to Belshazzar, he was always very humble uh, and acknowledging that God gave him the vision, God gave him the interpretation. Um, and so what, what we're seeing for the first time here is not the conversation after he's received a vision or an interpretation, but the actual how it plays out. Um, and this pattern of Daniel sees something completely bizarre, and then there's somebody standing off to the side that he says, hey, do you know what this means? And he goes, yeah, this is what it means. That you're, We're going to see that in the successive visions. And if you go and look at Revelation, it follows the same pattern too, where there's going to be someone from the heavenly house, someone that's part of that other world that's there to kind of help interpret what Daniel is seeing. So it's an interesting uh, interesting literary device, although I do like how it just reads. It's just some dude. Hey, do you do you see this? Do you know what's going on here? <laughs> it's such a long conversation. It feels like he's just walking past a guy. And it's not like, hey, how's it going? Good. You keep walking. He's like, all right, I had the stream. <laughs> and the other guy is like, oh, yeah, yeah. Come on. Come on with the dream. How long is this dream? He's like. But then there was another beast, and he's like, oh, my gosh. I had nothing helpful to say. <laughs> That's all. Yeah, I mean, with, with, the, with the, the, the dude, the servant, um, and the, the, that conversation just made me think of, you know, the conversation of someone that is in the midst of deconstructing everything and they're going there's all this stuff that's wrong in the world and I'm trying to look in scripture and I see these things and it doesn't really make all the sense that it used to make to me before and I don't know if I believe anything and what's going on and can you help me and you're like going to some somebody in, at church and they're like well it's going to be okay and you're like but really is it because <laughs> it's not <laughs> did, you, did you see that horn <laughs> It had a mouth. There was a lot of bragging. It had human eyes. Bragging upon bragging. Oh, and I didn't bring it. I should have. I forgot to. Uh, I had, uh, yesterday, as I was working on this, Owen was needing something to do. Uh, and so I, I, I said, well, here, I'm, gonna, I'm going to read some descriptions, and I want you to draw. And so he did. He, he, drew, uh, he drew all of, he drew the four beasts, and it was, it was interesting. And then he was disappointed. He came over to me. He's like, okay, now let, me, let me see what they really look like. I was like, well, we don't have pictures. <laughs> we don't have pictures. Oh, goodness. No. Yeah, that wasn't in the Jesus Storybook Bible. Well, that's that's really um, that's really all that I have here. Like, there's 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 so there's so much in the way this is written that I would love to just sit and talk about, but I'm not going to. Um, but just to know that when you're looking at the world and everything feels out of place, and the answers that you've always had from Scripture aren't always satisfying to you at the moment. Well, that's addressed right here in Daniel chapter 7. Um, and it doesn't try to sugarcoat it. It doesn't try to 
make Daniel out to be like, well, he should just be okay with this. Um, He was disturbed by it. It put him in a bad mood. But he didn't just go, well, that's disturbing, and I'm in a bad mood, and so I'm going to be done with this and step away, or I'm going to just focus on happy thoughts or whatever. But he kept thinking about it. And I think that is sometimes the best that we can do is to just stick with the tension, knowing that, okay, God is active. God does hear what's going on. God is going to, we've just, it's, it says it over and over and over in Scripture that God is going to fix all of this, and yet here we are in the midst. And so we need to stay engaged. Stay connected to what God is doing. Be looking for where he's at. Be looking for whatever we can do here. And continue to, continue to think about this matter. Let's pray. God, thank you for this really wacky story. Thank you that amidst the sea and the beasts and the horns and the one with the mouth and the courtroom scene and all of that, that, um, that what we see is sometimes an image of ourselves reacting to the chaos in our own world. God, thank you for, for seeing our questions, for seeing our doubt, for seeing our uncertainty, and being patient with us. Thank you for coming whenever that will be. We pray that it is soon. In Jesus' name, amen.